Hey, this is David Dearman. I'm the pastor at Memphis Tabernacle, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope that this message inspires you and builds your faith. I hope that it gives you fresh insight and strength to see God move in your life. Enjoy the message. We were, we were flying along and, uh, from California, and we were on our way back from California to Memphis, and uh, I think we had a stop in Dallas-Fort Worth. And uh, as we're flying along, the pilot, you know, the ding comes on, and he says, everybody put on your seatbelts, but it was kind of like a quick one, you know. Everybody put on your seatbelts, and, uh, and all of a sudden, we were, you know, we're at 35,000 feet or whatever it is, and all of a sudden, there was like a boom. A turbulence. How many like turbulence? Just love to, yeah, <laughs> okay. Anyway, there was a big like boom, and then another boom, and, but it was like some, like not just, you know, featherweight tur- turbulence. It was like some strong turbulence. It was certain to, well, Tiffany, you know, she, she, I was sitting here in the aisle, and she's sitting right next to me, and Zoe's over here, our eight-year-old, and she's at the, at, by the window. She likes to be at the window. You know, she likes to watch out and look out. So as soon as there's turbulence, you know, Tiffany grabs my arm like this. And I said, and I said, praise the Lord. We're on our way back to Memphis, you know. <laughs> and so, uh, so we're moving along. Well, all of a sudden, boom, another thing, boom. And, and uh, Zoe, so then Tiffany goes and grabs, you know, grabs her leg over on this. And I, and I whisper in Tiffany's ear and I said, hey. I said, don't put any fear in the child. I said, she's not afraid. Well, all of a sudden, Zoe, she flips up the window, you know, flips up both of the windows. And she goes, woo, and she puts her hand in the air. She's all, woo, she's all, come on. And she's like, this is like a roller coaster. This is fun, woo. And Tiffany looks over and she goes, she's crazy. She's your daughter. I mean, this thing's like rocking and rolling and going. Well, anyway, we're praying in the spirit and praying, oh God, calm down this plane and angels and every prayer, traveling mercies and all the prayers, you know, to pray, you know. And all of a sudden, you know, then the thing calms down and we're going and we're good and we're peaceful and everything's going good. And then after about five minutes, you know, the thing goes boom again. And I look over and Zoe goes, yes, God answered my prayer. Girl, what are you praying? She said, it was getting too boring. I was praying that we the roller coaster would go on again. I said, you better stop praying now. <laughs> I mean, I'm not afraid, but you better stop praying for turbulence. We don't pray for turbulence, somebody. See, it's the eyes, it's, it's the perspective that she's looking through. She doesn't have fear. She doesn't know what a plane crash is. She doesn't know what danger is, right? So for her, you know, somebody told her, probably me, that all it is is like going over a bump in the road and you're fine and everything's good and she hadn't watched the movies other than that, right? So she just goes, woo, bring it on. Come on, let's have a little bit more of it. I want to go downhill, right? See, it's her eyes, what she looks through. When I was um, about 42 years old, which was just a year or two ago, just, when I was about 42 years old, I, uh, I started wearing reading glasses, because I wanted to look cool. No, no, because I was looking at uh, text, and as you know, you know, I'm looking at text, and I, you can't see it. It starts to get blurry, so I had to humble myself. And you, you remember the first time you had to humble yourself? Okay, I had to humble myself and buy me a pair of reading glasses, and I have a whole funny story about that, because I, I went right to like 1.75, 
and they weren't working, so I went to 2.0, and I didn't realize that they were even less. So I wear like a 1.25 or something, like barely, or 1.50 or whatever it is. But anyway, I put on these reading glasses, and so I've had reading glasses for several years now, and I have to carry them around with me. It's not just a convenience, it's, it's become a, a necessity. Somebody know what I mean? I mean, I can get around without them. But I'm saying if I'm really going to read something or you're going to sign something or you're going to really dig into, you know, a letter or a text or something that's not on your phone, but just that's physical, you need them. You have to clean them. You have to make sure that they work, right? You have to make sure. Uh, in fact, one time I remember, you know, thinking, man, my eyes working. I, I put it in. I'm, it's early in the morning and I'm looking and all of a sudden I couldn't see out of one of my eyes and I was like, oh, Lord, and I'm pray, praying for one of my eyes and I didn't realize the, the lens had popped out. <laughs> See, because um, you're looking through glasses and they really affect everything. We talked about last week about how do you see God? And you really see God through a lens, through a lens of glasses, through your perspective, through the way that you see things. I may see God a little bit different than you see God. And uh, a lot of times we, those perspectives and those, those lenses that were shaped by our parents. If you had a harsh parent, particularly your father. If you had a harsh father or a harsh parent, and when you go to pray and you're trying to develop a personal relationship with God, you may see him as a harsh God. Can't ever meet up to his expectations. Or if you had a distant parent, maybe you didn't have a, a dad, right? And, uh, and, and it's hard for you to develop a relationship with father God and really understand how much he cares about you. Of course, or if you had a manipulative parent, Right? To where you had to, you know, you never knew what they were going to do and they'd twist and turn. You think you have a manipulative God. And let me tell you, our life, God wants to have a relationship with you. He's not trying to just get us to jump through hoops. He wants us to have relationship with him. And it's hard to have relationship, personal, close, intimate relationship with a God that we don't trust. And that's what we talked about last week. Today, I want to talk about this and it's, it's how does God see me? How does God see me? Because it's not only us that has a lens, God has a lens. God has a lens that he sees things through and he sees things through, number one, he sees us through eyes of grace. Somebody say that. He sees us through eyes of grace. That's the lens the Lord sees us through and it's important for us to know that. The Bible says here in the book of uh, Ephesians chapter two, let me move this up just a little bit. In the book of Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 9, read this with me. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is the, the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. In the New Living Translation, it says this, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. It's a gift from God. Every person on planet earth wants this free gift from God. Whether they know it or not, every person is searching for the grace of God. They're searching for this hole that's in their heart and they're trying to fill it. They're trying to fill it with something, something spiritual. Sometimes they're evil spirits. Sometimes they're, 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 it's, it's God himself, the, you know, the, the Holy Spirit. Sometimes they're trying to find it with uh, pl earthly pleasures. Sometimes they're, they're trying to fulfill it through sex. They're trying to fulfill it through money. They're trying to fulfill it through pride or esteem or things in their life. And they're trying to fulfill something. But listen, it's a gift. The grace of God is a gift from God, 
not of works, lest anyone should boast. Now, here's what grace is. Grace is, here's how it's defined, as the unmerited, undeserved, unearned kindness and favor of God. It's the unmerited, undeserved, unearned kindness and favor of God. I want to go back to this verse here and say this. You can't take credit for it. Do you think that if God gave you just a little bit of credit for grace, we'd probably take a little bit more than we deserved? Right? Like, for instance, if it was 90% God and 10% you, you'd go, yeah, we worked out that grace thing, right, God? You know what I mean? It's kind of like a little kid where you say, hey, would you help me lift this? And you know you're lifting all of it and they just have their hands on it. And they're like, yeah, we lifted that across the room, right? If God allowed you to help him out with grace, we'd take credit for it. Do you think that if God allowed you to help with 1% of it and he had 99% of it, that we would, would take some credit for it? We would. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever given, uh, you, you, you shopped for someone for a birthday present and you wanted to find out exactly what they needed. And so you went to the store and you're searching and you're looking and you find out exactly what they want. And you go, I got the perfect gift. And you bring it home and you're really excited, not because of the gift, but because how they're going to receive it. And you take the gift, you wrap it up, you bring it to their house and you say, hey, guess what? I got you a birthday gift. And you say, uh, they say, oh, thank you. And you say, open it, open it. So you want them to open it because you're excited about them having the joy of opening it, right? And then they take it and they open the gift and they go, oh, I'm... my wife, by the way, is an amazing gift receiver. <laughs> and giver, and giver. No, but I mean, she, you could give her like, you could give her a, a pack of toothpicks and she would be like, oh, I love these. Thank you so much. And she's real, like she's sincere about it, right? Some people are just really good. By the way, people who are really good gift receivers, they get more gifts. <laughs> I don't know why, but, but uh, I don't think she does a manipulative, but she really is. Anyway, back to my story. So you give someone a gift, they open it up, and they're like, I love this, I'm so glad. Thank you for giving it to me. And you go, do you like it, you like it? Yeah, and you go, oh, that's awesome, that's great. Hey, that'll be $73. <laughs> do you ever do that? Well, of course not, because it wouldn't be a gift, it would be something you went and bought for them. You say, but I went and spent the time to go get it for them. Yeah, but did you give it to them? It's either a gift or it's earned. It's either a gift or they pay. In fact, if they had to pay for any of it, it's not a gift. Do you know that we don't have to pay for any of the grace of God? And when God sees you through eyes of grace, through his eyes of grace, it's through the work that he did for you and nothing that you did for him. Nothing that you did for him. It's hard to even understand that, but that's what grace is. Unmerited, undeserved, unearned kindness and favor of God. Every person, every person on the planet would want this. Grace must be received, but it's not even a little bit paid for by you and me. It's all a gift. Now, have you ever gone out and, um, or I want to tell you this. Do you know there's a lot of boasting that's in the world through social media and through, uh, you know, you, you just pull up your phone. Do, do you ever pull out your, well, you know, I hate to ask this because I see people do it nowadays. And you put the worst picture of yourself on social media or you put your horrible days and you, you post things and you say, oh, let me just show you, like I took 10 pictures, I'm gonna put my worst ones up there. 
No, like I say, I hate to say it because I've seen people, they do that nowadays. <laughs> they like, they want to show you all their worst days and you're like, man, do you have a bad day every day? Or man, you should, someone should hide their phone today. They shouldn't be posting today. They're going to regret that. No, they won't. They do it all the time. You know those people? You know, might be you, okay? But don't, don't, don't nudge those people. Let me tell you, there's a lot of boasting that goes on because people want to see the best part of their lives, how they earn things, how they did things, how they dressed their kids, how they made sure that they got it to school, how they made sure that that project or the building thing was done or that, that, that the, the thing you baked was good or that this and that. You always want to show your best and put your best thing out there. Do you know that when we get to heaven, there's going to be no boasting? I said, there's going to be no boasting. You're not going to get to heaven and show off the good works that you did on earth. Why? Because we're going to see Jesus and we're going to know that it was because him and him alone is the reason why we're there. It had nothing to do with you and it had nothing to do with me. There'll be no boasting in heaven. God sees me through eyes of grace. It's a gift. We can't take any credit for it. I want to show you this. Grace is, here's another uh, by Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible. Grace is the dimension of divine activity that enables God to confront human uh, indifference and rebellion with an inexhaustible capacity to forgive and to bless. Look at those words, inexhaustible capacity. Have you ever felt like you could wear God out? with your requests or wear God out with uh, try, trying to tap him out to forgive you and to help you. But let me tell you, God has an inexhaustible capacity to give grace to you. You'll never wear him out. You'll never tap him out. He's always for you. He's always on your side. That's who God is. Second of all, how does God see me? God sees me, somebody say it, as righteous. God sees me as righteous. That's the way that God sees me. God sees me as Righteous. By the way, I want to tell you uh, um, something that I thought of about the grace of God. God through eyes of grace. I remember when I, when I uh, after high school, <laughs> I was a little lost after high school. I was trying to figure out what I was going to do, and it was the first couple years after high school, and I, I knew that I loved music, and I knew that I loved God, and I wanted to help and love and serve other people in ministry or whatever. So I went and I was going to school, and then I went and I said, I'm going to go intern at my church because I'm there a lot, and, and I'm serving and doing things. So they allowed me to intern. So I interned for a year or so and, uh, at least, and I was uh, serving there. And I served in a lot of capacities with worship and with services and with setting things up and with doing things. But I also, every person that interned also had to do some type of maintenance work. Somebody say, uh-oh, yeah, with me, okay. You've known about me if I've told you some stories about maintenance. I just, I wasn't, I never had a desire in my life to work with my hands or to, to fix things or to do things because I always had this thought, if I learn to do it, I'm going to have to do it. <laughs> I'd rather just stick with music or stick with like other things, you know? But, and I, and I, I didn't really see myself as real good at it. My dad was good at it. My oldest brother was good at it. But I just never really learned to do it. Well, they put me in maintenance. I had to serve a few hours in maintenance a week, a few hours a day, should I say. But I served in maintenance. And I remember they, uh, one time they asked me to paint. And I said, well, what do you want me to paint? And we had some pastors. And these pastors were like sharp 
I mean, they were like, they, you know, dress nice and they had a beautiful, you know, house and car and office and, and they would minister to a lot of different people, business people and, and politician people and, and, uh, business owners and CEOs. They just really would love people. I mean, they were like the real deal and I love them and I grew up with them, uh, under them as pastors. Well, my pastor's wife, uh, uh, her office was beautiful. It was one of those offices where you walk in and you're like, oh wow, this should be like on a movie. And it was like this light cream carpet and it had like flowers and it, they were all placed in the right places and wood and you know desks and the bookshelves and everything was perfect. And they said, David, we want you to paint uh, this wall right here in her office, like kind of a small sidewall. And the office was white, but we want you to paint that red, like a bright, crimson red. And I said, uh, are you sure? <laughs> so they gave me the paint. I didn't know how to paint. They gave me the paint. They gave me, they trusted me. <laughs> gave me the paint. They gave me the can. They gave me some tarps and they said, make sure to put down tarps. So if you spill or, oh, all right. So I put down tarps, you know, and spill and I'm doing it. I put it, get up a ladder and I'm trying to like cut, you know, and do the things, you know, the way that I thought I thought ah, painting's pretty easy. I can do this. And I'm, I'm doing it. And I'm thinking, oh man, I, you know, botched this and this is an extra stain here and this is an extra, I'm thinking I'm not really doing good. Well, I came down and I thought I better go get a wet rag and I came down the ladder and when I came down the ladder, I hit the paint can and I knocked over the paint can onto this like white carpet. <laughs> right in the middle of the office. And this was like that nice white plush carpet. And I thought, oh Lord Jesus, where... <laughs> I've always liked Southern California. Where am I going to move to? <laughs> I thought I got to relocate. I'm not going to be able to come to church here anymore. I'm not going to have a relationship anymore. I don't even know how to tell him. I felt so, I felt like such an idiot because I was. <laughs> not because of anything, you know. I mean, I just, I just, I didn't know what I was doing. I was being careless. And, uh, and I remember I just sat there and I, I couldn't even believe it. I'm just staring at it and looking at it. And then someone walks in and they go, what are you doing? And I'm like, I knocked over the paint. And they're like, oh my goodness. It was like one of my friends, you idiot. And I'm like, I know. What a bozo, huh? Like why would someone ask me to paint this office? But I remember I expected someone to come and just beat me up and knock me down. And they walked in and you know, of course they were like, wait, what were you thinking? What were you doing? Have you ever painted before? What were you? But you know what? I didn't hear a harsh word about it. They didn't treat me bad. That's grace. Undeserved grace. They gave me grace about it. I never heard, they never beat me up about it. And the great thing, they never asked me to paint again. <laughs> I mean, come on. Do you know God will take your mistakes and your mess ups and you're, the things that you screw it all up and God will take it and his grace will cover you if your heart's right and you just come to him. God will cover your mistakes. God's not worried about you making mistakes. God's not worried about your mess ups or your faults. God will cover those things. Number two here is that God sees me as righteous. Righteous. What is righteousness? Well, righteousness is this. It means right standing with God, being right with God. It's really about your position with God. Not your performance with God. Because a lot of times we will think that righteousness is what I do for God. How I act. 
how I am. Do I know how to, in fact, sometimes people will come and give their lives to the Lord and they come to church for the first time and they'll say, I've never really been in church and I'm not really sure how to perform. And I go, here's how to perform. Perform with an open heart and let Jesus do the work for you. And well, how, how do I know what to do? You'll know what to do. Just lock your heart in with God. He'll show you what to do. Right standing with God, being right with God. That's what righteousness is. Someone said, someone says, well, I'm trying to get my life right with God. You ever heard someone say that? Maybe you said it. Or I'm trying to get everything right with God. How are you doing spiritually? I'm just trying to get my life right with God. It's impossible. Amen. You're not able to get your life right with God. You're not able to get yourself in a position with God, right? The only thing you can do is repent. The only thing you can do is yield your heart and your life to Jesus. And he's the only one who can put you in the right position, in the right place with God. Sometimes people want an appointment with somebody. They say, I need, really need to talk to him. How do I get to him? I need a contact. I need a, listen, the only contact you need to get in the right position with God is Jesus. It's Jesus. It's not by our works. It's not by things we do. It's by what Jesus did on the cross and what he already did. It's impossible for us to do it. Now, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, it says this. Read this with me. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. You could never make yourself right with God. I said, you could never make yourself right with God apart from Christ Jesus. Only Christ can make you right with God. Jesus, who never sinned, the Son of God, came down and he died on the cross, not for his own sin, but he took on the sin of humanity. He died on the cross and then he gave you his righteousness. He offered his righteousness. He said, I'll take your sin, sinner, and I'll give you my righteousness. So let me ask you, when he looks at us, what does he, what, when God looks at us in Christ Jesus, what does he see? Righteousness. When God looks at you in Christ Jesus, does he see sinner? No. Why? Because you're not. In Christ, you're not a sinner anymore. In Christ, you're righteous. Now, apart from Christ, if you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, you're a sinner. You suck. But in Christ Jesus, in Jesus, we're righteous. And remember, righteousness is not about a performance. It's about a position. It's about who you are in Jesus. And only Jesus could provide that. His, our sin has already been paid for. You don't need to pay for your own sin. You don't need to ever pay for your own sin. Well, does that, auto, do, does that mean we automatically go to heaven if Jesus paid for our sin? Does that mean we automatically go to heaven? Well, it says here in verse 17 of 2 Corinthians 5, when someone becomes a Christian, he becomes a brand new person Inside, Somebody say inside. Because see, it doesn't seem like anything's changed on the outside. He is not the same person anymore. A new life has begun. When someone becomes a Christian, he's a new person on the inside. When someone becomes a Christian, born of the Spirit, through Jesus Christ, they receive the righteousness of God in Christ. Now, let me ask you a popular question that a lot of people will ask. Someone will say, how do you know you're going to heaven? 
Well, someone say, how do you know there is a heaven? Well, I'll go back to say, do you believe there's, there, there's a spiritual world? Well, I don't know. Well, do you believe in ghosts? Do you believe in evil spirits? You don't believe in evil spirits? I do. You don't believe that there's, there's like funky things going on in the air? You think everything's about flesh? No, there's a whole spiritual world that's out there. Do you think that there's evil, there's, there's spirits of darkness and spirits of light, a spirit of light? That's the only two worlds, by the way. Don't dabble in darkness. There's darkness and there's light, okay? If you have these spirits, are, do spirits ever die? No. Do spirits ever, are they ever born? No. They were created by God. They, they never die. So if spirits are eternal, what are you? No, what are you? I'm just asking the question. Think, think about it. What are you? Are you a body? No. Because when you die, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord if you're in Christ Jesus. Are you a mind? Are you emotions? No, you are a spirit, which means spirits are eternal. Well, then that means you're eternal. Every person in here is eternal. In other words, you're going to live forever somewhere. And it won't be in this body. You're going to live forever in hell or in heaven. Somewhere. We're all eternal. Well, someone says, well, how do you know you're going to heaven? And most people, most people will say this, maybe not in this church or somewhere. Most people will say this. Well, you know, because I'm basically a good person. I'm a good guy. Like, what do you mean? I try to serve God. I'm a Christian. I try to serve God. I try to do the right thing. And I gave my heart to, to, to God. So I'm trying to do the right thing. And that's, and so do you know that just the fact that you say you're going to heaven because of something you've done shows that you're not going to heaven because of any grace. It's because of works. And if you want to play the works game, then you're responsible for all the works. Let me show you where the scripture is right here. Look at this. It says here, now to him who works, in other words, I'm getting to heaven because I'm basically a good person. Basically, I, you know, I do most of the things right. Look at, to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace. In other words, okay, you're going to start paying for it? You know, so you, you pay for something and completely pay for it for somebody. And they go, let me just pay you back. And you go, no, it's, it's actually too much for you to start paying for it. And they go, let me give you five bucks. And you go, no. if you want to start paying for it, you're going to have to dig a lot deeper than that. That's right. Right? Okay, I don't want to pay for it. <laughs> you just pay for it. Look at, to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but, somebody say it, believes on him, that's Jesus, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. In other words, the only way that you can receive righteousness is to receive the finished work that Jesus already did on the cross. And the only work that we have to do is to believe, to believe. And the person who keeps, look at, look, look, look at this right here. Um, so how do you know you're going to heaven? You know you're going to heaven because of the finished work of the cross. If you're trying to work it out for yourself, you don't get the grace. It's all works. But to him who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly as accounted as faith. Your faith accesses his righteousness. Your faith accesses his righteousness. Now let me ask you another question. And by the way, this is, these are big questions. How many in here has, uh, 
is there anyone in here who's ever broken or who has broken every law that there ever was? You've broken every single law that there ever was. Well, let me show you this. Kind of a trick question because it says here, and the person who keeps every law of God but makes one little slip is just as guilty as the person who's broken every law there is. In other words, if there's a million laws and you've kept all of them except one or two, you're guilty of all of them. Let me ask you another question. Is there anyone in here who's made one little slip before? You made one. Do you know the same people should raise their hand about have done have messed it, have broken all the laws. Why? Because look at this, and in, in, uh, it says every person who keeps all of the laws except one is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. So whether you've broken one law, you've lied, you've blasphemed, you've stolen, you've used the Lord's name in vain, you've dishonored father and mother, you've committed adultery, You've, you've, you've put other gods before God himself. It, it, whether you've committed one or whether you've committed them all, and somebody says, I've committed them all. Neither one will get you righteousness or hold you back from righteousness, Amen. right? We're guilty of every one of them, right? We're guilty of every single one of them. You see, um, here's the reason why. God's standard is not good. Amen. God's standard is perfect. God's standard is not you have to be good to get into the kingdom. God's standard is perfection. Well, if God's standard is perfection, how in the world would any of us get into heaven? By believing in the perfect one, Jesus. That's the only way that we can get into heaven is believing in the one who who is perfection. That's Jesus Christ our Lord. Somebody say thank you, Lord, for that. So let me ask you this. So do I need to do any, any type of works to receive salvation or to receive righteousness? Well, here's what Jesus said. I think we could take it from him. Um, um, Jesus said here, well, did I get to uh, John chapter uh, six? I want to show you this. John chapter six. Yeah. No, no, I didn't get to that. I'll just, read, I'll just read this to you. Listen to this. John chapter six and verse 29, it says this. Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. Listen, Jesus said this. This is the only work God wants from you. Notice he didn't say works. He said work. This is the only work that God wants from you. And what is the work? Believe. Believe. That is the work that we have to do. We have to believe. That's why we're called believers in the Lord. There is a work, it's believers, and we have to believe. We look at everything in our lives according to our understanding of grace. We see everything in our lives as whether we've earned it or whether it was a gift in our lives. And our understanding of grace is going to affect the way that we see God. Our understanding of grace is going to affect the way you see yourself. Our understanding of grace affects the way you see your spouse or your friends or those around you. If you see things through a works mentality, then you're always going to be trying to prove yourself, push yourself, perform to be good enough for God, good enough for others, good enough for you. And if you're not, then you blew it. 
and you're going to kick yourself because maybe you think that's the way God would do. See, grace is important for us to understand. You know, legalism is also something that will affect every part of your life. And by the way, legalism is perfectionism. Someone just goes, I'm a perfectionist. You better watch saying that. Because if you're a perfectionist and you're someone who has to perform all the time for someone, there's a flaw in that. There's a flaw in that. Because you can't perform all the time. You can't make things right all the time. The only one who's perfect is Jesus. Let me ask you this question. We have uh, uh, Mark down here, okay? Mark. If I were to look at you and I were to say about Mark, uh, Pastor Mark is a righteous person. You would say, yeah, that's right. But I say, what makes him a righteous person? I'm just asking, what makes Mark, Pastor Mark a righteous person? You would say, well, because I've watched Mark. Mark takes time for people. Mark prays for people. Mark does great things for people. Mark loves people. Mark loves his family. He's a good man. That's, that's a righteous person. But let me ask you this question. Is Mark's works of righteousness because he is righteous or does his righteousness come from his works? See, we have to, we have to really decide that because this right here, what I'm talking about, this is not just some sermon and lesson that we're learning on Sunday morning. This is our perspective with how we see God. This has to do, this is kind of the, the centerpiece of what our whole relationship with God sits upon. What our whole relationship with God sits upon. Yeah, it's true that Mark does righteous things and, and yeah, and, and you would be right that he is righteous. But is he righteous because he does righteous things or does he do righteous things because he's righteous? It's a question. I'm not in right standing with God because of the right things that I do. I'm in right standing with God because of the right things that Jesus did. And I believe in Jesus and now I have been empowered to do right things, but I don't always do right things. But I'm always righteous. But I don't always perform right. I, don't, I make mess ups. I have mistakes. But I'm always righteous. Because my righteousness, the position of my righteousness is not based on whether I'm on my game or off my game. Whether I'm on it or off it. I'm righteous because of what Jesus did. Now let me ask you this. Can an unrighteous man, go with me, can an unrighteous person do a righteous deed? Okay. And does the righteous deed that he did make the unrighteous person righteous? No. Okay, let's, let's flip it around. Can a righteous person, a righteous person in position with God, can he do an unrighteous deed? And can the unrighteous deed that he does, does it make him unrighteous? No. See, because it's not based on what he does. We're detaching works from position. Our position comes from who we are in Christ. There's a guy who doesn't know the Lord one day. Okay, There's a guy who doesn't know the Lord. And he wakes up. He's not a believer, not a Christian. And he wakes up in the morning and he's just having one of those days, uh, you know, and he says, man, I'm whistling this morning. I'm doing good. He sees a ball that comes over the, the fence and he takes the ball and he throws it back over the fence, you know. 
He's walking along. He sees an old lady that's crossing the street, right? And he goes and he helps this. Remember, this is an unrighteous person. He sees this old lady. He walks her across the street and helps her and says, oh, have a great day. He sees a homeless person and he picks up the homeless person and he feeds him a sandwich and he gives him 20 bucks and he says, do you need anything? Can I take care of you? That man feels good about himself. He's having a great day, but he's unrighteous. Let me ask you, does the righteous deeds that he did, he's doing good, he's, he's a good guy. Is the righteous deeds that he did, does it make the unrighteous person righteous? No, let's flip it around. You have a person that's righteous, right? He's righteous. He's, 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 he's born again. He's in the Lord, right? And he wakes up and he's walking down the street and he sees the ball fly over and he takes the ball kicks that ball down the road. <laughs> you hear the kids scream, ah! He sees the old lady, right? And he's walking along. Why is she walking so slow? Hurry up, old lady. You know, he pushes her, knocks her down in the gutter. That's a righteous person. Okay? And then he sees the homeless person, comes over to the homeless, and he comes over to him, hey, man, why don't you get a job? Don't be asking me for money. Kicks him. Now, let me ask you, that's horrible. But does his unrighteous deeds make the righteous person unrighteous? Think about it. Does his unrighteous deeds make the righteous person unrighteous? No. Because it's not about performance, it's about position. It's not about what you do right or what you do wrong. It's about what Jesus did right. And us believing and putting our full faith and our full confidence and our full trust in him. Let me tell you why this is so important. Because I remember when I was trying to serve the Lord, and I still go through these phases, where I'm trying to, uh, to, put, to do, put spiritual disciplines into practice. I'm trying to, you know, and I'll just make, make myself a list, you know. I'm trying to read uh, the Bible consistently, I'm journaling, and I'm not talking to, to preach or to teach, I'm talking about for David, for me, because I need it, okay? Uh, to, 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 to journal, to write down things, to pray, spend time in prayer for myself, for my church, for my family, for my city, to, uh, to, uh, to give and uh, to share the gospel with other people, to help people who are in need, right? And I have these spiritual disciplines that I write down and I'm trying to keep it in order and I'm trying to do the right thing. And what happens is I'll find myself that I'm down now. I'm, I'm a week, I'm two weeks, I'm three weeks into it. And I start to feel righteous. I start to feel like, Lord, I'm getting this spiritual thing. I'm getting this church thing. I'm serving in church. People even comment and say, man, you're humble, you're good, you're servant, you're, and I'm like, Lord, thank you. Oh, you're using me, God. Thank you, God. Oh, this is great. Everything's good. I'm righteous until I'm not, or until I don't feel like it, should I say, until the day I blow it, until the day I wake up late and I don't read my Bible, and then I don't pray, and then I have an attitude and I get mad at someone, argue with them, then I talk bad about someone, then I think thoughts that I shouldn't think. And I sin and get off into this. And I start to feel like the shame and guilt and condemnation. And like I'm not pleasing the Lord anymore because I blew it. I messed it all up. I'm not in relationship with God. I'm not in fellowship with you anymore, Lord. Look at me. Look at the patterns of my life. Can I ask you, on that day, 
the bad days. Am I less righteous than the good days? It's the same. It's the same. Because my righteousness is not about performance. It's about position. See, when I've come to recognize that my relationship with the Lord has everything to do with what he did and not with how consistent I am and not with how, then you know what it makes me want to do? It makes me want to pursue a relationship with God out of love. And out of God, I love you and I thank you that you've already actually paid the check. You've already taken care of it. You've already provided everything that I need. And it's not about my performance. In fact, it's already paid for. I don't have to pay for, I don't have to pay for my righteousness. I don't have to pay for my grace anymore. It's already taken care of. It's important for us to know that my righteousness is from the Lord. God sees me through eyes of grace. God sees me as righteous. And then number three, God desires to have, somebody say it with me, a personal relationship with you, a personal relationship with you. Can I tell you, God sees you not as a servant, not as a slave, but as a friend. He says here, Jesus said in John chapter 15, I no longer call you slaves. Sometimes our relationship with the Lord is like a slave. You just tell me what to do and I'll do it, Lord. Here I am, messing up in the mud, in and out of sin, in and out of bondage. I'm just a worm, I'm just a jerk, I'm just no good. I'm just down here. No. If Jesus were here today, he'd pick you up and say, you're a son. You're a friend. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. In other words, a master doesn't tell the secrets and doesn't tell the plans. He just tells them, just do this. And if our relationship with God is based on, I just do whatever he tells me to do. Then we're not going to have a pleasurable relationship with him. No wonder why it's hard to serve God. No wonder why half the world, most of the world is outside of church. Because serving God stinks. Instead of serving God is pleasurable. Listen, I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends. Since I have told you everything that the father told me. Jesus calls them friends. God created us in his image. God created us in his likeness. We are spirit. We have a mind. We have a soul. We have emotions. God doesn't treat us like robots. He treats us like friends. See, we're used to communicating the things that we want in two different ways. There's a mechanical way and there's a personal way. A mechanical way would be how, the way that you communicate with uh, like a, a computer, Right? You take a computer, you open it up, and well, I know now they have AI, but let's leave that out of it, okay? But you take a computer, you type in what you want on the computer, and what happens? It does what you want. It responds the way that you want. You tell a robot what you want it to do, you program it, an alarm clock, what time you want it to, wait, to be woken up, that's how it does it mechanically. It has no relationship. It has no person. It has no personality. It operates mechanically. It's a machine, and we communicate mechanically. But if it's a person, we communicate personally with it. If it's a car, I turn the wheel, I push the gas pedal, I push the brake pedal, and I communicate with it mechanically. A person, a computer, again, I have the keys, the mouse, but a person, I speak clearly the things that I want. God wants to communicate with us personally. God wants to be a friend to us. But sometimes we can't get past our sin and we think we're just a piece of crap, dirt, junk in the eyes of the Lord. 
And that when God looks at us, he's just so disappointed with us. Because doggone it, why can't you follow through? I gave my only son for you. That's not how God thinks about us. God looks at us as a friend. God loves you. He's inviting you to the table. He wants to share with you his heart and his secrets. We're not robots. Sometimes you might wish people were robots. <laughs> we can just tell them what to do. But that's not real relationship. That's not how relationship works. We also see that God wants relationship with us. We're called his children. We're called heirs of God. Join heirs with Christ. Look at this. In, uh, in, um, it says, but to all who believed, to him, read this with me, to him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. Do you know what it's like to be called a child, a child of God? A child of God. Child of God. Look at this. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. See, it's relationship. It's position. When my, if I have a kid that messes up and blows it, I don't say, you're not my kid today. Get out the house. Okay, can I come back home? I've done good for three days. That's not how God is. We're children of God. We have relationship with the Lord. We receive all the privileges that a son and a daughter would receive. As you, as you know, and you, uh, Tiffany and I have kids, and my kids know that I'm their dad. I mean, they just know it. They, they, they have no problem with that. I'll be in meetings. I'm talking about, you know, we're, I'm like, we're, we're like really going over stuff, and they'll just knock on the door. Sometimes just walk right in. Hey, dad, how you doing? I say, oh, come on in. Give me a hug. You doing okay? Yeah. All right. Everything okay? No, I just wanted to say hi. Okay, that's good. Hey, have a great day. Or they'll call. I have one of my sons that'll call, and then he always calls again. And sometimes I'm in the middle of something really, really important, and he'll call, and then he'll call again. Well, I told him, that means you're in an emergency. So I pick up the phone the second time, and I go, hey, what's going on? Everything okay? Oh, yeah. Just wanted to see how you're doing. Why'd you call me twice? Because you didn't answer. I say, well, I guess, I guess that's good. Hey, <laughs> you need anything? You okay? Oh, yeah, doing good. Just wanted to say hi, Dad. Just wanted to see how you're doing. Oh, I'm doing good. Do you need anything? No. See, that's just how my, my, my kids are. I'm their dad, right? They don't need an appointment with me. They walk in, walk into my office, sit down in the chair, right? Roll up the chair. They're doing their homework. They're doing stuff. I don't, they don't have to ask me. Why? Because I'm their dad. They need money. In fact, one day... I'm looking at our checking account and I'm like, why is there money missing out of our checking account? And I looked and I, I went and asked and I said, oh, because we have, you know, we, we joined checking accounts with a couple of our kids and I said, why is there some money missing? Oh, oh I, need, I need a few bucks, Dad. I said, uh, so you just took it? Well, Dad, you said everything you have is mine and everything I have is yours. I said, man, we made an appointment at the bank. I'd split that. I said, you don't have access to my account anymore. You can't just take it. You have to ask me, right? But that's just the way that they see it. Everything that's theirs is mine. Everything that's mine is theirs. Now that they drive, sometimes I'd walk outside and my car's gone. Where's my car? Oh, mine didn't have any gas, Dad. Well, go put gas in it. Oh, I don't have any money. Well, I guess take money out of my account, right? <laughs> Oh, thanks, Dad. I already did, but I didn't put it in the gas. <laughs> See, that's just the way the privileges of sonship is. 
That's how it is with God with us. He is not looking for a mechanical relationship. He's looking for a personal relationship. Someone who trusts him enough that if we can trust our earthly fathers, we should be able to trust him. And I want to mention one more thing about relationship. Part of caring for my children, part of us caring for our children is correction. Oh, I I wish I could remove that from the book. I wish I could remove that from the responsibilities correction. But I want you to see this in the book of Hebrews. It says this, and have you forgotten, look at this, because this right here may be the most important thing you heard today. Listen, and have you forgotten his encouraging words spoken to you as his children? He said, my child, don't underestimate the value of discipline and training of the Lord God or get depressed when he has to correct you. See, if we don't have a proper relationship with God, then what happens is every time God tries to correct you or bring something out, or he uses someone else to try to correct you or bring something out, we have this trigger of maybe something in our past, maybe in our upbringing, to where we automatically feel condemned. We feel beaten up. We feel less than. We feel shame. Like, oh God, are you trying to bring down the hammer on me now? You trying to bring judgment on me now? Or are they trying to? So what we do is we don't welcome the correction of the Lord because we're really not sure his intentions. But we resist the correction of the Lord. In fact, this is a good way to know if you do it. When you start feeling corrected, do you get depressed? When you start feeling corrected, do you fight or flight? I'm going to fight this one. I'm going to fight the person that came through. Or I'm, or I'm out of here. I'm out of here. When the correction is for you. It's to bless you. Look at this. He says, don't underestimate the value, the discipline, and the training of the Lord God or the training of the Lord God or get depressed when he has to correct you. Look at For the Lord's training of your life is the evidence of his faithful love. If God is correcting you, it means he loves you. You say, well, he ain't correcting me. I doubt it. Do you know people who avoid correction? I do. I have a list of people who I'd never tell you who they are, but I can't correct them. I can't talk with them as sons. Because every time I say something, even just a slight hint of you could do it better this way, there's a resistance, there's either a religious spirit or a rejection spirit or something that comes up that either says, I'm out of here or I'm not gonna take that or what about you? And the reason for that, because I realize that, the reason for that is not because they don't like me. Absolutely. It's not because they don't like the Lord. It's because they've been hurt. That's right. That's right. I've been hurt. Yep. I've faced rejection. Yep. I've faced those things. And so what do I do? Harden my heart and say, I'm going to work it out. I don't need correction. But what does he say? The Lord's training of your life is, is the evidence of his faithful love. And when he draws you to himself, if the Lord's saying, hey, uh, I need an appointment with you tomorrow morning, and you're like, what's it about? 
<laughs> Anybody ever asked for an appointment? And you're like, what, what's it about? I need to know what it's about before I show up. Because I've been to those appointments before. He says, when the Lord draws you near to himself, it proves that you're his delightful child. The Lord only calls you on the carpet because you're his child. And he says here, fully embrace God's correction as part of your training. For he is doing what any loving father does for his children. For we, for who has ever heard of a child who never has had to be corrected. If you're someone who you haven't been corrected by the Lord lately, can I challenge you to allow God to heal something in your heart? A broken and a contrite heart. When the Bible says that David had a heart after God, he said, a broken and a contrite heart, these, O God, you will not despise. Can I just tell you, God, I feel like corrects me every day. And it's not because I'm someone better or more humble or more this or that. It's because I'm jacked up. I'm broken. I'm in need of help from a loving father. I'm not qualified to do what I do. I'm not qualified to lead someone to Jesus. I'm not qualified to do the things that the Lord asked me to do. It's the Lord who qualified me. It's not my works. So when he corrects me, you know what he does? He's saving me from embarrassment. Yes. Yes. He's trying to help me before I go out there and make a fool of myself. Yes. And when I stop the correction of the Lord and start to act all depressed and withdraw, you know what I'm doing? I'm only hurting myself. Look at this. Fully embrace God's correction as part of your training for in doing that, a loving father does for his children. For whoever heard of a child who never had to be corrected, we should all welcome God's discipline as the validation of authentic sonship. By the way, this is in the Bible. We should all welcome God's discipline as the validation of authentic sonship. God only corrects sons. He's correcting me all the time. That's a good sign. Don't resist it. Well, I don't like it. Learn to love it. It's a validation of sonship. For if we have never once in, oh, by the way, I underlined this term. If we have never once endured his correction, how many know sometimes correction you have to endure? We've never once endured his correction. It only proves we're strangers and not sons. If you've never had to put up with being called on the carpet, God, by the way, God doesn't call you on the carpet all the time. If you allow his correction, his direction a lot of times is just very gentle. It's a whisper. It's like, hey, son, good try. But no. <laughs> just this week again, I was pushing God on something. God, this, this, this. And he's like, I, I know you're trying to help, son, but you're not helping. No. He's corrected me. How, how I pray, how I talk, how I walk how I make decisions. Look at, but God corrects us throughout our lives. Here's why. For our own good, giving us an invitation to share his holiness. You know why he wants to correct you? Because he wants you to be like him. You know why he wants you to be like him? So you can be in deeper fellowship. You can be in deeper fellowship with God. Deeper fellowship with the Lord. Nate, can you come up here? I want to share one more thing. I was praying yesterday and I had finished these notes and, and I was praying just saying, Holy Spirit, what are you saying? Knowing that God sees you through eyes of grace.
God sees you as righteous. God wants a personal relationship with you. And this, this scripture came up in my spirit, and it was just the, the scripture from Hebrews, and it says this. By the way, there's some scriptures the Lord asked me to share that I just tell the Lord, I don't really want to share that. Would you ask someone else to? But listen, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15 says, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. You know what that tells me? You can fall short of the grace of God, and so can I. In other words, the grace of God is not just a one for all. You get it. You said a prayer. Jesus, your Lord, bam, do whatever I want. No, the grace of God is found in the life of Jesus. In the life of Jesus. Listen, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root, bitter root grows out. Look carefully. No bitter root grows out to cause trouble and defile many. What is bitter? Bitter is not just like a bitterness. No, bitter is like a taste, like it's not sweet, but it's bitter. It's bitter, bitter tasting. He says, make sure there's not a bitter root that's on the inside of you so that things that are birthed and born out of your life and grow out of your life, everything becomes bitter. And by the way, it's not only everything becomes bitter in you, everything becomes bitter in everyone around you because you've allowed that bitter tasting thing on the inside. You haven't rooted out sin, bitterness. You've hid certain things from the Lord. By the way, uh, you may, uh, your alarm may go up and say, okay, go back to that grace thing. Go back to that righteousness thing. No, 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 it's all part of it. It's all part of it. It's, it's about sonship. It's about sonship. Look at that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble to defile many. Unforgiveness. Maybe you have on the inside, you have unforgiveness. Someone's done something bad to you years ago or recently and you it just keeps springing up someone's hurt you deeply and you have hurt you just can't get away from pride just you know there's pride in fact you own your pride yeah yeah, i know i have a pride problem yeah but you haven't surrendered it to the lord and it's become a root and it's affecting your whole life it's actually holding you back lust greed money mammon on your life he goes on and he says make sure that no one falls of the grave of god and that no bitter root causes trouble to defile many and then he just goes on and says see to it that no one is sexually immoral what is that it's having sexual relations with someone you're not married to by the way he wrote it i didn't look at no one's no one is sexually immoral or godless like Esau. Notice what he says. Who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Notice what he said. He said, don't be sexually immoral and don't be godless like Esau, who for just a simple pleasure, he just, he just, wanted, some, he just wanted some food. He just wanted a party that night. And that one night cost him his whole inheritance. The one night cost him grace. The one night, in a sense, sent him to hell. And what does he say? See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. Make sure that you don't just talk about the ooey gooey, puffy, fluffy, huggy grace of God. Make sure that no one falls short of it. 
as well. What does he say? See to it, no one sexually immoral or godless like Esau who for a single meal sold his birthright to his oldest son. And he said, and afterwards, notice what he said, afterwards, he sold his birthright. And afterwards, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he comes back to God, he was rejected. Even though he saw with blessing and tears, I can go back and I know how to play the repentance game. Oh God, you're merciful, oh God. But notice what he said, even though he did it with tears, he could not change what he had done. Why has God rejected me? No, God didn't reject you. You removed yourself from the grace of God. So let me ask you, if he says, see to it that no one does it, is it possible to remove yourself from the grace of God? Let me ask the question again. Is it possible to remove yourself from the grace of God? It is. And see to it that no one does it. That's what he says. See to it that no one does it. For a single meal, one night stand, one night of pleasure, sold his inheritance, sold the grace of God. You can sell out the grace of God. Let me just tell you today, God's grace is huge, but don't play with God's grace. You're, you're playing with your inheritance. You're playing with your eternity. You're playing with something that Jesus bought. I want to close with this story today. Um, I had a friend who was a real good friend, and uh, I've known him since he was a teen. He was a highly, one of the best musicians I've ever met in my life. Like, almost like a savant or a um, child prodigy. I mean, just amazing, brilliant mind. But he never developed a relationship with his father. Loved the Lord with all of his heart. Never developed a good relationship with his father and had a real difficult time uh, receiving the love of Father God. And I remember I'd talk with him about how much God loves him. And he just always had this thing. He would perform. I mean, he, this guy was diligent. He could play. He could, uh, he could sing. He could write songs. And I mean, fantastic. He went on to go get uh, a degree in music, a graduate degree in music. He went on to go get a degree in theology and studied. This guy studied Hebrew. He studied Greek. And I'm telling you, he could talk about God and this guy was brilliant but every time I would go to talk with him about some things he would shut me down and I could see he was a friend so I wasn't harsh with him I could see that there was a wound there he would cover his wound protect his wound he went off he ended up getting married to an awesome gal had a baby beautiful baby we were a part of their family loved them but eventually this guy just got more and more educated, more and more isolated, more and more protective of his heart. And then I get a call sometime later, some months later, hey, um, he left me. He's, he's out on his own. I think he's living out on the streets. Um, so I tried to reach out to him. Don't know how to get a hold of him. Been praying for him would just hear stories about him. Then I get another call about a year and a half later. It's from him. Oh, I'm broken. By the way, this isn't just a story, this is my friend that I've known for years. I'm broken. I'm hearing voices. I'm hearing demonic voices. Would you pray for me? I met him down at the office. 
comes down. I met him with another person. He sat down and when he walked into the room, I didn't recognize him because he was skin and bones. He had evil on him. He walks in, he sat down. I said, what's going on? He couldn't even look me in the eye. It wasn't just that he was mentally off or something was crazy. He was a brilliant guy. It's that he had given himself over. He had lost the grace on his life. He said, I keep hearing these voices and the voices say, God rejects you. God's grace rejects you. You've turned away from God. He rejects you. I said, well, where do you, where do you think those voices come from? And you'd see a softening in him. He'd say, the devil. And as we begin to talk, he began to manifest demonic spirits. I mean, begin to manifest demonic spirits. And got on the ground and started raving like a snake on the ground. I mean, this is my friend. I have tears in my eyes. I have love of Jesus for this guy. This guy's anointed. I watched the, the love and the grace of the Lord flow through him, but he'd given himself over to demonic spirits. He couldn't be corrected. He couldn't be open with, with anybody. And what did he do? He gave himself over and all of a sudden I find him in this condition, changed his name. We laid hands on him. We spent maybe an hour or two. We cast out evil spirits from him, exercised them, took them all out. All of a sudden his countenance immediately changed. He came back and confessed lordship of Jesus. He sat there as a normal person. And I said, okay, now, here's what you're gonna need to do. You have to submit yourself to the Lord, Lordship of Jesus because there is a real enemy out there. The thief comes not except to steal, kill, and destroy. He said, I don't have time. I said, but then you're not gonna make it. I said, do you want back your family? I want back my family, I want back my family. I said, okay then you're gonna to have to submit yourself to the Lordship of Jesus. Because if Jesus is not, someone's sitting at the throne of your heart. And if Jesus is not sitting at the throne of your heart, someone else is sitting at the throne of your heart. He never followed through. And now, I'm, by the way, I don't say it with any casual, like he never followed through. My heart, I think about him. I pray for him still. I don't even know if he's alive. But I watched a good, friend, anointed, loved the Lord, one of the most talented individuals I've ever met, lost his family, lost his life, and I believe lost his salvation. I thought you couldn't lose your salvation. I wouldn't test it. I wouldn't test it. Well, I've been taught, listen, I wouldn't test it because he walked away from the Lord, giving himself over to Satan. I want to say today, I, you know, I, I told the Lord, I don't want to end really a message that way. I kind of like to end up like, amen, righteous, righteous or bold as a lion. We're, we have the grace of God. I don't want to end like about be corrected. That's a, I told the Lord, that's a drag way to end. Well, that's love though. Love. See the love, the Lord treats us like sons. Make sure that no one falls short. 
God desires a personal relationship with you. Can I encourage you? Let's allow God to be our friend. Would you open up your heart? Would you say, Lord, I want to allow you to be my friend who can speak anything into my life. Friends can talk straight, love, depth. Would you say, Lord, I trust you and I thank you for your grace in my life. Somebody just say it today. I thank you for the grace of the Lord Jesus today. Thank you for your grace that's forgiven me from all of my sins. If you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, or if you have, can we just stop and say, Jesus, I open my heart to you. I confess you as my Lord and my Savior. Jesus, thank you for your grace. Jesus, I believe in you today. Jesus, it's not by my righteousness, but it's by your righteousness that I'm made right with God. And I thank you for the eyes of grace. Jesus, I thank you for righteousness today. And Jesus, I thank you that you desire to have a personal relationship with me. Church, do this right now, would you? Would you? Would you? Would you? Would, if you really want to, and I'm not—I don't even want to coax you to do it because I've learned if you—if I have to—if I have to coax you or urge you or manipulate you to get to do it, I have to be there all the time to get to do it. But but if the Holy Spirit is drawing you to Jesus right now, is drawing you into a relationship with Jesus right now, would you do this? Would you just humbly? However, put yourself in a posture humbly and say, Jesus, I want a personal relationship with you. Jesus, I want to be your friend. Jesus, I want to be your child. I want you to speak to me. I want you to bless me. But I want you to correct me too. Because I know it's so that I can be what you've called me to be. Somebody just tell him, I trust you, Jesus. And listen, if there's things you need to repent for, this is not a condemnation service. Would you just stop and say, Lord, I don't even know what to do with my situation. Maybe you're living in a situation or maybe you're in a situation. You're not even sure what to do from here on out. Well, there's no condemnation here. There's no condemnation here. But here's what I want you to do. Would you just say, Lord, I put my life in your hands. And would you show me the way out? Show me the way forward. Show me the next steps. Show me the next steps, Lord, I pray. Show me how to walk with God. Show me how to walk a life of righteousness for holiness. Jesus' name. Well, I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. And if you did, I'd like to ask you to subscribe to our show. That way, the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. God bless you, and I'll see you next time on the Memphis Tabernacle Podcast.